Law and Self-Defense content you are about to enjoy is presented for general educational purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice. If you are in need of legal advice, consult competent legal counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Not appear to be using name labels on screen. The trial is presided over by Hennepin County Judge Peter Cahill. The lead prosecutor is Assistant Attorney General Matthew Frank, assisted by Special Attorney for the State Neil Cadial. The lead defense counsel is attorney Eric Nelson, assisted by co-counsel attorney Amy Voss. The defendant is, of course, Derek Chauvin. Uh, there's no word yet as to whether Chauvin is expected to testify in his own defense. Today was planned to be the first day of jury selection for this trial, but instead the day turned into something of a non-starter. As I write this, the trial court is adjourned until 1.30 p.m. Central Time, at which point a determination will be made as to what, if anything, the trial court will be free to do in advancing this trial forward. Until that determination is made, the trial and jury selection are effectively paused. Indeed, the jury pool has already been sent home for today, so there will definitely be no jury selection occurring prior to tomorrow, if then. The key cause of the holdup is the uncertainty around the third-degree murder charge which the state wants to bring against Derek Chauvin, in addition to the second-degree murder and manslaughter charges on which he is already currently charged. Minnesota labels its various criminal offenses in a rather untraditional manner, uh, using unusual terminology compared to other states, so it's worth looking at the actual criminal charges themselves. With respect to the second-degree murder charge, the relevant statute is 609.19, murder in the second degree. And by the way, folks, every time I reference a statute, you'll find that statute linked in the text version of the day's content. So 609.19, murder in the second degree, subdivided into two major sections. Subdivision 1 covers intentional murders. Chauvin is not charged under this section. Indeed, there's no claim whatever being made by anybody. Uh involved in the case that Chauvin intentionally killed Floyd. I find it remarkable that the public narrative around Floyd's death is one of purported racist police murder of a black suspect, but not even the prosecutors aggressively pursuing this case are willing to make the legal argument that Chauvin intended to kill Floyd. Subdivision 2 of that statute, 60919, covers unintentional murders. It, too, consists of two point parts, and Chauvin is charged under the first of these. Uh, the second part applies to circumstances involving restraining orders. It's not relevant to this case. So the relevant second-degree murder language relevant to Chauvin is found in 609.1921, and it reads, Whoever does either of the following is guilty of unintentional murder in the second degree and may be sentenced to imprisonment for not more than 40 years, One, causes the death of a human being without intent to affect the death of any person while committing or attempting to commit a felony offense other than criminal sexual conduct um, or uh, drive-by shooting. So the secondary murder charge against Chauvin is premised on an underlying felony, which the state argues is the purported commission of third-degree assault by Chauvin upon Floyd. That naturally raises the question of what constitutes third-degree assault under Minnesota law, and we can find that at statute 609.223, assault in the third degree. Uh, This statute consists of three parts, but only the first is relevant to Chauvin, and it reads, quote, Substantial bodily harm, whoever assaults another and inflicts substantial bodily harm may be sentenced to imprisonment for not more than five years or to payment of a fine of not more than $10,000 or both, close quote. So in summary then, in order to convict Chauvin of second-degree murder under the facts and legal arguments of this case, the state has to convince the jury beyond a reasonable doubt 
that Chauvin intentionally inflicted substantial bodily harm upon Floyd and that Floyd died as a result of that substantial bodily harm. Further, the state would have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Chauvin committed this conduct without lawful justification, because justification would be a generalized offense against any use of force offense, including Chauvin's use of force upon Floyd. The justifications might be things like that the use of force by Chauvin uh, upon Floyd was justified as appropriate under the circumstances of making a lawful arrest of Floyd and or of securing Floyd's safety from harm, such as harm or death by excited delirium. Then there's the second-degree manslaughter charge against Chauvin, which can be found at Statute 609.205, Manslaughter in the Second Degree. This statute consists of five sections, but only the first is relevant to this case, and it reads, quote, A person who causes the death of another by any of the following means is guilty of manslaughter in the second degree and may be sentenced to imprisonment for not more than 10 years or to payment of a fine of not more than $20,000 or both. And the condition is by the person's culpable negligence, whereby the person creates an unreasonable risk and consciously takes chances of causing death or great bodily harm to another. In summary, then, in order to convict Chauvin of second-degree manslaughter under the facts and legal arguments of this case, the state has to convince the jury beyond a reasonable doubt that Chauvin negligently created an unreasonable risk of causing death or great bodily harm to Floyd and deliberately disregarded that risk with Floyd dying as a result as well as disproving any raised justification defenses beyond a reasonable doubt. Finally, we get to the key issue in the holdup of today's proceedings, and that's the third-degree murder charge that the state wishes to bring against Floyd, or I should say, wishes to bring again. Interestingly, when Chauvin was initially charged in this case, those charges consisted of second-degree manslaughter, which we just discussed, and third-degree murder. Chauvin was not initially charged with second-degree murder at all. The original charging document, by the way, citing second-degree manslaughter and third-degree murder um, in this case is linked in the text version of today's content. So third-degree murder under Minnesota law can be found at statute 609.195. This statute consists of two parts, of which only the first is relevant to the case, and it reads, quote, whoever, without intent to affect the death of any person, causes the death of another by perpetrating an act eminently dangerous to others and evincing a depraved mind without regard for human life, is guilty of murder in the third degree and may be sentenced to imprisonment for not more than 25 years, close quote. In summary, then, in order to convict Chauvin of third-degree murder under the facts and legal arguments of this case, the state has to convince the jury beyond a reasonable doubt that Chauvin committed an act eminently dangerous to others, disregarded that danger with a depraved mind, and that Floyd died as a result, as well, again, as disproving any raised justification defenses beyond a reasonable doubt. Importantly here... Uh, the traditional legal interpretation of this statutory provision for third-degree murder has limited its application to circumstances in which the alleged danger created is a danger to people generally and not a danger created to a specific individual in particular. Under long-standing Minnesota law, if the victim killed by dangerous conduct was specifically targeted, then the appropriate murder charge would be second-degree murder, as we've already described. Imagine, for example, that someone fired a shot in the general direction of the victim with the intent of frightening the victim, but without intending to actually strike the victim, 
but the bullet nevertheless struck and killed the victim. The dangerous conduct here was directed at that specific victim. That specific victim died as a result, and the appropriate charge under Minnesota law is second-degree murder. The crime of third-degree murder under Minnesota law would obviously be entirely duplicitous of second-degree murder if it applied to the same circumstances, a danger created towards a specific individual. And in fact, throughout Minnesota legal history, it was not believed that third-degree murder was intended to apply to a danger created towards a specific individual. Rather, third-degree murder was understood to apply when someone created a danger to the public generally, with no particular victim in mind or targeted and then caused the death of some non-specific individual. Imagine, for example, someone driving a car on the public roads while extremely intoxicated and running over and killing a pedestrian in a crosswalk. That driver never intended harm to that particular individual, but their conduct created a deadly danger to the public generally and results in the death towards that non-specific individual. That's third-degree murder. So two different sets of circumstances to which two distinct degrees of murder under Minnesota law were intended to apply. Indeed, so well established is this distinction between second-degree and third-degree murder that when Chauvin, uh, when the Chauvin defense argued that the third-degree murder charge originally brought against him must be dismissed because there were zero evidence that Chauvin ever presented a danger to the public generally— and therefore, third-degree murder was inapplicable as a matter of law, trial court judge Peter Cahill agreed. And he did, in fact, dismiss that charge of third-degree murder. The state's response was to then charge Chauvin with second-degree murder in place of the dismissed third-degree murder charge. Now, the lengthy history of legal decisions affirming this distinction between second-degree and third-degree murder under Minnesota law was recently upended, however, by a precedent-breaking decision handed down by the Minnesota Court of Appeals on this issue just this past February 1st, 2021. That decision is State v. Noor. You can find that linked in today's content as well. Noor is N-O-O-R. As a brief uh, brief background, Mohammed Noor was a Minneapolis police officer who, along with his partner in their patrol car, responded to a report of a possible sexual assault occurring in an alley behind the home of a Justine Ruzik, who had phoned 911 after hearing a ruckus behind her house, sounded like a sexual assault to her. When the two officers arrived at the scene with Noor's partner driving, they rolled through the alley and didn't see anything and were apparently about to drive away when they were approached by Miss Ruzik. As she neared the driver's side of the patrol car, Noor pointed his pistol across his partner's body, the driver's body, and fired a single fatal shot into her abdomen. Noor would be criminally charged and convicted of third-degree murder for this killing of Ms. Rusick. He appealed this conviction um, to the Minnesota Court of Appeals on various grounds. One of those grounds relevant to our discussion here is that third-degree murder was inapplicable to the facts of his case because his purportedly dangerous conduct specifically targeted Ms. Rusick rather than endangering the public generally. In other words, arguing for the traditional and well-established legal understanding of third-degree murder under Minnesota law. The three-judge panel hearing Noor's appeal would, for the first time under Minnesota law, hold that third-degree murder could apply to a case in which the risk created was not to the public generally, but rather was towards a specific individual. Interestingly, the Court of Appeals was unanimous in denying Noor's appeal on every other ground raised. 
But the three-judge panel split on this question of whether third-degree murder could apply to a danger created to a specific individual. With two judges voting for this novel, individual-specific interpretation of Minnesota law, and a third judge who wrote a lengthy dissent on this point in the linked decision, the third judge holding to the traditional and well-established legal understanding that third-degree murder applied to dangers that were generalized to the public and not specific to an individual. In any case, when this novel interpretation of third-degree murder as specific to individuals or permitted in that context was handed down by this Court of Appeals decision on February 1st, the prosecution in the Chauvin case saw a new opportunity to argue that Chauvin, too, should be charged with third-degree murder, that the dismissed third-degree murder charge should be reinstated. After all, the Court of Appeals said doing so was okay, even in the context of a danger created only to an individual and not to the general public, right? The prosecution here then asked the Court of Appeals to order the trial judge, Cahill, in the Chauvin case, to reimpose the third-degree murder charge against Chauvin on the grounds that the basis for having dismissed that charge earlier, that third-degree murder applied only to generalized dangers, no longer applied given the Court of Appeals' decision in Noor. Now, the Court of Appeals didn't simply order Judge Cahill to reimpose the third-degree murder charge outright, but it did ask him to reevaluate whether the third-degree murder charge ought to apply, given the Nord decision. This order from the Court of Appeals occurred just this past Friday, March 5th, the last day of court business before jury selection was to begin today in the Chauvin case. Hold on a minute, Chauvin's defense team argued in response. First of all, they said that Court of Appeals decision in the North case is still subject to review by the Minnesota Supreme Court. And while that window for Supreme Court review is open... The Court of Appeals ruling is not really final law in Minnesota. So until the issue of third-degree murder is legally finalized, Chauvin ought not be recharged with third-degree murder. In response, the prosecution this morning informed Judge Cahill that as far as they were concerned, so long as the legal issue of whether third-degree murder should apply to Chauvin was still in play, that meant that that question was still before the appellate courts, both the Court of Appeals and the State Supreme Court. And so long as the appellate court still had jurisdiction of the issue, the trial court itself lacked jurisdiction on the issue. In fact, the prosecution argued that unless certainty was achieved on this issue of third-degree murder in the Chauvin case, nothing substantive, including jury selection, should be allowed to move forward because the state ought to know whether third-degree murder was in play when they were participating in jury selection in the first place. Now, Judge Cahill appeared rather shocked at the argument that the entire trial be put on hold over this issue, especially given that the jury pool was already sitting at the courthouse waiting to undergo selection. He argued that the case could proceed on every issue other than third-degree murder, including moving forward on jury selection. Judge Cahill also recognized, however, that although that was his decision on this question, the prosecution had the option to appeal that decision back to the Court of Appeals. If the Court of Appeals said the whole trial had to be paused while the third-degree murder was played out in the appellate courts, an appeals process which could take weeks or months, well, then the trial court would certainly obey and the trial would be paused. But unless he was told to pause the entire trial, Judge Cahill intended to proceed and, if necessary, simply add the charge of third-degree murder to the jury instructions at the close of the trial. And lesser-included charges are routinely added late in trials in precisely this manner. After a short recess for the prosecution to consider its options, they informed the judge that they had, in fact, filed the motion with the Court of Appeals 
to suspend the trial proceedings pending the resolution of the third-degree murder issue, and that we're waiting now to hear back from the Court of Appeals. And that, folks, is where things sit as I write this. Uh, later this afternoon, in just a few minutes, in fact, the court's supposed to come back into session, at which point everybody involved is hoping that the Court of Appeals will have provided some guidance as to the extent to which the trial court will be permitted to proceed with this trial of Derek Chauvin. When we learn more, you'll learn more. In the meantime, I thought perhaps you might be interested in taking a look at the 14-page questionnaire that all prospective jurors were asked to complete earlier in this process. I'll embed that in today's content. The prospective jurors' answers to those questions will assist both the prosecution and defense in deciding whether jurors should be excused for cause, as well as whether prospective jurors should be dismissed peremptorily without cause having to be given. Incidentally, Judge Cahill has tripled the normal number of peremptory challenges permitted each side in this case to 15 peremptory strikes for the defense and nine for the state. I should also mention that selected jurors will include 12 jurors and two alternates, 14 in total, all of whom will be kept under a soft sequester during the trial. That is, their identities will be concealed from the public during the trial, and they will be identified only as numbers during the court proceedings, but they will be permitted to return home each evening and then back to court each morning. During deliberations, however, the jurors are expected to be fully sequestered at the courthouse. Okay, folks, that's all I have for you now. Until next time, remember, I'm attorney Andrew Branker for Law of Self-Defense, following the Derek Chauvin trial in real time for both law, self-defense, and legal insurrection. Until next time, stay safe.